is White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. Drive in the air, deep to right, it is gone! This is a presentation of the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Now here's your host, Shane Norley. Good afternoon and welcome into White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000, Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. Shane Orling sitting in for Connor McKnight today. He's got some work on the TV side. It'll be Len Casper on his own for play-by-play. Coming up first pitch will be at 310. White Sox pregame with me at 230. And right now... Getting started with White Sox Weekly. It's been an up-and-down week for the White Sox on this West Coast road trip. One and three so far. Dropped two in the series in Los Angeles and dropped the first against Seattle last night. Three to two. A comeback win on a Teoscar Hernandez home run in the seventh inning for the Seattle Mariners. And where I kind of want to start today is a bit of news, some housekeeping. The White Sox starting lineup came out. A little bit ago, and there's a change at the top of the order. Something I've seen White Sox fans, White Sox Twitter, we love you, White Sox Twitter, talking about a need for something to happen in the top of the order. We know the Sox lineup has struggled to generate runs outside of the long ball, which hasn't been a problem of late. Nine home runs in the last three games. They have been pounding the baseball, but they've been struggling to do it when people are on base. They've been struggling to get guys on base, period. It's been a lot of home run or nothing. And at the top of that lineup, we know Tim Anderson has been mired in a bit of a slump. Since May 1st, Tim is hitting... uh, well, Tim's 251 on the season, and since May 1st, Tim's hitting just 238 with a 278 on base percentage, slugging just 263. Uh, the it, the analytics, if they mean anything to you, the weighted runs created plus just 51 league average. 100. So you'd like to see Tim break out of this. Now we know Tim is a really good baseball player. The four seasons before this, 2019 to 2022, he was hitting 300 in every season. The power numbers uh, seemed like they were on the way up up until last year. Ten home runs in the pandemic-shortened 2020 season and 17 home runs in 2021, two seasons ago. This season, we know the story. No home runs yet for Tim. The the batting average is way down. The on-base percentage is way down. And the White Sox at the top of that lineup need guys who can get on base. Today, we've seen the switch from Pedro Gafur, the manager. It'll be Andrew Benintendi leading things off in left field for the White Sox and Tim Anderson moving down a slot into the two-hole. Now, a lot of the conversation around Tim has been kind of almost tongue-in-cheek if you look at White Sox fans and a lot of reporting from the national media, if Tim Anderson needs a change of scenery, obviously the upcoming trade deadline. Now, I'm not telling you that the White Sox are going to or need to trade Tim Anderson, but it could be argued that moving Tim down in the lineup from one to two Could that be the change of scenery that Tim needs? Get a little bit of a different look, get a different approach, take some pressure off of that need to get on base at the top of the lineup, of that need to be producing right out of the dugout and taking care of business. 
It just hasn't been happening. And you move him down and you get a guy in front of him, Andrew Benintendi, who gets on base, a 330 on base percentage so far this season. If there's anything he does and got his first home run of the season last night in Seattle, he's been excellent at getting on and being a base runner and kind of setting the table for this White Sox team. I think it's a good idea for the Sox to move Benintendi up into the leadoff spot and slot Anderson down one spot in the lineup, maybe take a little bit of that pressure off and get him sort of that change of scenery in hopes that he can get back to being the really productive baseball player, the really productive shortstop and bat that we saw Tim be when this team was really winning this division in 2021 when they were contending for the playoffs. That's what Tim was so useful at, was the automatic nature of him getting up, going the other way with the baseball, getting on base, extra base hits, the growing power, and all of that has kind of disappeared. He's he's getting older. He's not old, 30 years old, but we haven't seen it this year. He's looked a little bit like a different hitter. He's looked maybe at times distracted. And I think it's a good idea for Pedro Grafoul to make that move, to to move Tim down a spot, and hopefully take some of the pressure off and see if he can get back into the swing of things. Again, if you want to weigh in, your thoughts, Tim Anderson moving down in the lineup for the first time in a long time. He has been steady Eddie in the leadoff slot for the Chicago White Sox. And today, we are seeing that change as Tim Anderson will hit second. 312-332-3776 is the phone number. Phone line's open for you if you want to weigh in as the White Sox prep for Game 2 in Seattle. And Tim Anderson, the story of the day, moving down in the lineup. This Sox lineup, it hypothetically can produce. And we've talked at length about how important it is that this division is as bad as it's been. The White Sox, 11 games under 500, most of that coming on the road, uh, 11 games under 500 on the road, 500 even at home. Uh, so it's good to at least get some optimism that maybe with a little change in this lineup in the batting order, we can see a spark. Uh, and really this past month and a half, there haven't been a lot of guys who have been qualified hitters. It's been Luis Robert carrying the banner for the White Sox, 293, slugging 620, slugging percentage, or OPS, excuse me, over close to 1,000. Weighted runs created plus 163. He's got 12 home runs since May 1st. He's been incredible. But elsewhere in the lineup, the White Sox just have desperately needed that spark. And it's good to hit home runs like they've done nine in the last three games, I told you. But they have to get guys on base. And they have to be able to deliver when they do get guys on base. So that's the there's two sides to this. One, I think, is the change of scenery for Tim Anderson. And the other side of this is putting Andrew Benintendi at the top allows you to set the table. On-base percentage at 330, he's going to get on. Whether it's a slap hit, maybe, look, the power showed up last night. He got his first home run. Maybe that breaks the dam a little bit for Andrew Benintendi getting off the schneid, and he can develop a little bit of power at the top of this White Sox order. But to get him on base and set the table and have Tim Anderson hitting in front of Luis Robert, offering a little bit of lineup protection if you buy into the old school thinking about baseball where you have a guy in Luis Robert who's, an all-star caliber player who's a budding superstar and over the past month and a half is really showing us how powerful he can be, how much of a, of a threat as a bat 
he can be in the middle of this White Sox lineup. I think you buy Tim a little bit of protection, putting him right in front of Luis Robert. Maybe he gets some more hittable pitches. We know he's a free swinger. We know he likes to swing away at the first pitch when he sees it. With Robert up behind him, if you have Benintendi on base, you've got to be very careful in the way that you approach a meaty White Sox lineup with Robert, Aloy Jimenez, Gavin Sheets, and Jake Berger, who's been that revelation, uh, I saw ranks fourth in slugging percentage among hitters with at least 180 plate appearances. So we're seeing a lot of good out of this White Sox lineup. There's just a desperate need for the table to be set and for guys to get on base and to really find that spark for Tim Anderson. So I think, personally, this could be a part of getting Tim's change of scenery in place. I don't think that we necessarily need to think about Tim playing for another team, moving him at the deadline. I think you can work these things out while he's with this club. You can change his spot in the lineup, try to take pressure off him, some of the old-school thinking in baseball. Maybe you start getting him a few reps instead of, playing shortstop every day, get him a couple reps at second base. Maybe that's a part of this change of scenery as well. Anything we can do to break Tim out of this slump that he's been in, uh, the little bits of maybe a distraction that are going on, but just getting him comfortable again, getting him into a position where there's not so much pressure on his approach. There's not such a high-powered need for him to deliver at the top of the lineup and get things started for this team. You can put him in a place where he can deliver for guys who are already getting the table set for him. And I, I just I think that's huge. Again, we've seen Tim. We know the ball player that he can be. He's been great throughout his career. He was an all-star, a budding superstar just a few years ago. His breakout season at age 26 in 2019 hit 335 slugged 508 I mean this guy was a player that we are seeing Tim slump this year is beyond out of character this is something that's almost impossible to think it could continue to be at this level it's hard to believe he could continue to have this much of a struggle in his approach so I like the idea that the White Sox are are looking at ways they can change what's going on with him and give him different looks, give him different opportunities, and really try to get the spark lit with Tim Anderson and get him back to where he was just a few years ago. I think this could be huge. This could spark something. And I don't want to say they're going to turn the corner, but again, we've we've mentioned if they're going to be bad, this is the division to do it in. 11 games under 500, and you're far from out of it. You can still work things out to get this thing where it needs to be And moving forward through the rest of this summer, I mean, you can contend for an AL Central title. We've seen this team at home, 17 and 17, 13 and 24 on the road. It's really just been when you get them away from the rate. And I'm going to tell you, look, 17 and 17 is no great shakes, but the Twins lead the division at 35 and 35. 500 is going to be good enough when you play in this American League Central. If you can play 500 ball, you're going to do good enough to be in the hunt. So I think if you can just try to figure out how to get this lineup to be productive when they go on these extended road trips and get them to play more like they do when they're home at the right. They've been better after that night, marish April. They have been better since the start of May. The lineup still needs to find ways to produce, and I I think it's a a prescient move from the White Sox front office, from the management team, to make this move in the lineup. It's something that they have not shown a huge appetite to do. Tim has been in that leadoff slot all season despite the slump, but moving him down, it's 
it feels like a signal fire this morning that they're going to try to work Tim into getting a spark and getting out of this slump and getting him some different opportunities where he gets a few different looks. Uh, Some more positivity to come, including all-star candidacy for two of the potential stars in this White Sox lineup. A little more of what went on this week. And by the way, the White Sox pitching staff, how good have they been? The starters have been unbelievable. And Michael Kopech, who was out last night, struggled with the command. But again, just one run allowed. He's been great. We'll talk about all of that. And I have some trade deadline early preview thoughts coming up at 1 o'clock. We'll do all that. It's White Sox Weekly. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Shane Orling sitting in with you on White Sox Weekly, heading into White Sox pregame at 2.30 with me. And then Len Casper will have the call solo from Seattle. First pitch, 3.10. It'll be Lucas Giolito on the mound for the White Sox. And how good has he been in this season where a season ago a lot of thought about if Giolito could find his way back to how good he had been in 2020 and 2021. And we are seeing that bounce back year for Lucas. So excited to see him take the hill today in Seattle. Three one two three three two three seven seven six is the phone number for you if you'd like to weigh in. The news of the day for the first time in a very long time. Tim Anderson will not be the leadoff hitter for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, so a big news there as the White Sox try to find a way to spark this lineup to do something other than hit home runs, which has been a struggle. The home run ball has not been a problem. White Sox 13th in baseball since May 1st in hitting home runs. So they have shown a little bit of power this season. Uh, they just haven't shown a great ability to hit the ball in in line drives and get on base and be able to do it and deliver with runners in scoring position. Uh, Join us on Friday, June 23rd for NASCAR night presented by Xfinity to kick off the first ever NASCAR Chicago street race. Receive a limited edition co-branded cooler sling when you purchase a specially priced ticket. Be sure to stay after the game for a post-game fireworks show to purchase your ticket package. Visit whitesocks.com slash NASCAR. I told you uh, before the break we would get a little bit of all-star talk about Jake Berger and Luis Roberts. That will have to wait a moment because we are going to hear from White Sox reliever Keenan Middleton, who is having an awesome season so far, an ERA under two high leverage situations that he's been involved in. Uh, Keenan Middleton out of that bullpen, which at times has been as good as any bullpen in baseball. There have been multi-week stretches where Everybody in the in the bullpen from Middleton to Joe Kelly to Aaron Bummer to Garrett Crochet, who is coming back now, have been untouchable. I know Crochet gave off the gave up the walk off hit to Freeman the other night, but uh let's get Keenan Middleton in now. Keenan Middleton joining us on the line here on White Sox Weekly. Keenan, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well, man. So I want to ask, because you've been and through everything a little bit in your career in Major League Baseball, you've been on a few different teams. I know you started in the Angels organization. You've been through the minor leagues. You've had a lot of opportunities. And it feels like this year you've 
found some sort of change. You found something that's really working for you, and you have been fantastic in leverage situations for this White Sox team out of the bullpen. What have you done with your approach that that's been able to get you to this level? I appreciate that. Um, pretty much just being on the same page with everybody since since I signed here in spring training. Uh, me and the pitching coach Ethan Katz, we have a history of working together. Um, we both were like minded in the idea of how we were going to attack hitters coming into this season. We both had the same idea. So coming into spring training, um, I was just locked in from day one. And obviously, there was a little bit of a process trying to learn how to pitch the way I am now. But um, everything's worked out great, and I think it's solely to do with this this coaching staff and I have had a open line of communication of what it would take to get me back uh, to the top of the game. Is there um, executed pretty well for so far? Yeah, it's been good to see. Is there something really about this coaching staff? And I know you mentioned your connection with Ethan Katz, but is there something about this team, this development staff, and this coaching staff? Because a year ago with Arizona, things didn't end maybe the way that you would have hoped. But the track for you with this White Sox organization has been quick, starting in AAA Charlotte to start the year. You weren't there long, brought up on April 10th, and you have made every reason to stay up here. Is there something that this team's doing differently with you that's allowed you to hit that gear and stay in it? Uh, honestly, uh, um, just trusting me and, and realizing uh, what I have. I feel like the last couple of years, uh, the teams I was with didn't know what I had, so they kind of protected me, pitching me in a bunch of down games and games that weren't really close. But these guys, they, they know who I am. They stuck me in the fire from day one uh, in close games, and uh, it's worked out, and they trust me here. And I think that that's a big part of this. Uh, if you are with the coaching staff that trusts you and is able to give you the ball whenever, I think that's a big thing, especially for my confidence um, that I didn't have the last couple of years. Yeah, you mentioned trust, and you're kind of hitting on it, but I'm wondering if it's really just a case of a team that's confident enough in you to put you out in those spots. You weren't really used in high-leverage situations in your other experiences throughout Major League Baseball. Is it really just that this team has the faith in you to put you out there that imbues you with some confidence and lets you get the job done? Yeah, I think so. I think for, so for sure. When I came up in 17, um, it was only a couple months that I was in the league before um, I was pitching in high-leverage situations. And then 18, I come out in my second year in the league, and I got named the closer for the team. So I know just getting kind of used to that role, coming out the last year in, uh, like, down games or games that the game is not close, um, I don't know. I just felt a little bit different. And that's something that I also had to work out with myself because it's not – not a good thing as well i'm not saying i'm not trying to make an excuse for myself it's just um, how it was i had to make an adjustment to pitching in any kind of situation again and i feel like uh, the trust that these guys gave me from day one through throwing me into a, a close ball game and giving me that back talking with white Sox reliever keenan middleton on white Sox weekly espn 1000 hard rock casino white Sox network keenan have you made any change in the way that you're approaching hitters from something maybe when you were a younger pitcher, when you had just started in Major League Baseball? Is there something that you're doing differently now against opposing hitters? Maybe you're getting deeper scouting reports. The analytics are coming out. Is there something that's allowing you to change and refine that approach against opposing hitters that's giving you a bit of an advantage? <clears throat> yeah, uh, one thing that me and Ethan talked about, I think one of the things that we were really on the same page about coming into this season is that I have three pitches, and I need to use them all. Uh, in the past, I'm only a fastball slider guy, and I threw my changeup, I think, less than 10, 10% of the time. This year, my splits are a little bit different. I'm throwing my changeup over 40% of the time, wow. throwing my fastball, which is making my fastball 
play a little bit better and then keeps them off my slider as well. So I think that the plan that we are going across right now, obviously there's going to be adjustments in this game. Um, hitters are going to start to figure stuff out, but for right now we're in a good spot. I want to get a little bigger picture before we let you go, and thank you again for joining us, Keenan. Uh, I've noticed the White Sox record, your team, on the road, 13-24 and 24 on the road, 17-17 and 17 at home. Is that just kind of randomness, or is there something that's causing these kind of road struggles? Uh, to be honest with you, I mean, it's, it's, this is a hard game to play, obviously, and then on the road, it's even, it's even tougher, you know. Um, but I feel like it's just for us squeezing out games. There's a lot of games that we were really close to at the end of the game, um, but it's just finishing games right now, I feel, for us. I feel like there's just a couple of things that we're really um, so close to being there, but we're not there yet, and once we get there, I think that that will turn around. Well, the good news in those close games, they have you to go to out of the bullpen in those high-leverage <laughs> situations because, man, you've been locked down. It's been great to see. Thanks again for coming on the show today, Keenan, and good luck the rest of the way. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. That was Keenan Middleton joining us, White Sox reliever here on White Sox Weekly. Good to talk with him and get a little bit of insight in the bounce back that he's had. Again, kind of a different story in his career. If you don't know a lot about it, started out in the Arizona League uh, with the Angels affiliate and was promoted fairly quickly up through the ranks. He made his Major League debut in 2017 and struggled a little bit there with the Angels, uh, 5.25 ERA in that shortened 2020 pandemic season, bounced around a little bit, went to Seattle, spent some time with the Arizona Diamondbacks, didn't get a whole lot of opportunities, but here, and he was just telling us the faith that this pitching coach staff has in him and the trust that the manager Pedro Grifol and this front office have in Keenan Middleton to be able to go out there in these high leverage situations and deliver that's fascinating to me that I think as an athlete you would always think I'm capable of taking these situations on and locking it down that's the way you have to think and I think it's really fascinating and kind of encouraging when you hear a guy like Keenan Middleton say how much of his success has come out of being in a place being with a coaching staff and being on a team where they really have that faith in him to go out in some bigger moments to go out in these high leverage situations in the seventh eighth ninth innings of close one or two run ball games where you need outs and they believe that he can give them to you and He's been excellent this season uh, with, you know, some of the better splits of any reliever in Major League Baseball. His ERA under two at 1.93. He's been on 25 appearances. I mean, it's hard to find relievers who have been more effective uh, than Keenan Middleton has this season. So really good to see that from him and wishing him the best of luck the rest of the season, hoping that he can keep this going. 312-332-3776 is the phone number. Uh, We're going to pause quickly, 10 seconds for station identification. Twice Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000, Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. Talk with Jesse Rogers in about a half an hour. He will join us at 1.30. Some conversation there. bit of reporting coming out about the White Sox and their appetite for certain moves at the trade deadline. Ken Rosenthal had some interesting stuff to say. We'll get to that as well. Talk to Jesse about that and see what he thinks. But I want to start with the potential all-stars on this team. And I know... Some people may uh, laugh at that when you have a team that's 30 and 41, but 
there's always good players on every team. And I think with this White Sox team, you have some guys who are making a case to be among the very best in baseball. And one of those, it, it sounds crazy, but one of those players that's really kind of cementing themselves and we hope can continue to cement themselves is Jake Berger. When you look at all of the players in baseball, American League and National League, every player in Major League Baseball with at least 180 uh, plate appearances, Jake Berger ranks fourth in slugging percentage. Fourth. He's right there with the likes of Aaron Judge, of Shohei Otani, of J.D. Martinez, guys who are certified mashers. And Jake Berger is right there with them. I heard yesterday, sometime last night, he's currently pulling 10th in American League designated hitter voting for the All-Star game. And I think, Sox fans, you are among some of the best in baseball. Let's get out there and vote Get out there and let's talk. Uh, let's get Jake Berger into the white into the All Star game. Excuse me, because he has been an absolute masher of the baseball lately. Uh, that's been fantastic to see. So just getting some word in. Connor McKnight is going to join us at one fifteen. We'll have Jesse Rogers after that. Looking forward to talking to the two of them and getting their insight on Jake Berger and his ability to be near the top among uh, all of these sluggers. The other one you look at, Luis Robert having a career year for himself. 17 home runs, already a career high, already eclipsing the lead for home runs on this team a year ago in 2022. So 312-332-3776. Phone lines are open for you if you want to weigh in. Am I out to lunch on this? Jake Berger, I think... We got to get him in the All-Star game. Sox fans, you are some of the best and most passionate baseball fans in this country. You can get out there and get Jake Berger talked about as being an All-Star designated hitter for the American League. Get him a trip back to Seattle. Let's not make this his only trip of the season. Get him out there in July. Get him in an All-Star jersey. Him and Luis Robert. Robert, again, one of the best defensive center fielders and having a career year at the plate finally rounding that corner and turning into somebody who I think we can all look at and think about as one of those kind of top flight players in baseball he's been talked about five tool player all of these things early in his career compared to Mike Trout there was so much talk about Luis Robert as this up and coming superstar as one of the guys who will define the next generation of young stars in Major League Baseball and I think we're finally seeing Robert you know it's been up and down there have been moments weeks where he's struggled at the plate but for the most part this season you're seeing a guy who's putting it all together who's finding the ability to consistently hit for power who's hitting the ball out of the ballpark he's getting extra base hits he's been I gave you the numbers in the first segment if you missed it uh, since May 1st he's hitting almost 300 a slugging percentage over 600 an OPS near 1000 I mean, you can't say enough. 12 home runs since May 1st. You can't say enough about how damaging Luis Robert has been to opposing pitching when he steps into the box. And over to a two-war player since then, if you care that much about the analytics, this is a guy who really is becoming one of the best center fielders in the American League and in baseball, and it's what we always expected of him. So it's been really good to see. The other thing that's been good to see, and I'm not quite sure that we're ready to say it's 
all-star caliber. But Michael Kopech was on the mound last night, and he's kind of highlighting a pitching rotation that has been lights out since the turn of the calendar from April to May. April, this was a bad month for the White Sox, but since then, this pitching staff has found ways to get outs. They're fourth in ERA in Major League Baseball, and Michael Kopech has been the banner carrier in that stretch. In his last nine appearances, 52 and a third innings, he's getting 10 and a half strikeouts per nine. Walks are still a little higher than where you'd like. We saw that last night, six walks, but He's been getting in and out of traffic like a magician. He did it a bunch last night. He had base runners in nearly every inning. In the second, he had bases loaded and nobody out, and he found a way to get out of that inning without surrendering a single run. His ERA over the last nine games that he started, 2.41. He has been every bit the pitcher that he was projected to be when he was a prospect, and it's another guy who, look, in nine games you could chalk it up as a small sample size, say, hey, We've seen a lot of Michael Kopech. We've seen times where he's been this good. We've seen times where he's had to go to the bullpen. We've seen a lot of struggle out of Michael Kopech. But in this situation, it feels like a kid who's coming of age, who's making that turn, putting all of his stuff together, finding ways to get out of jams where in the past he would kind of spiral and let those things affect him and make those innings worse. Uh, he's found ways to get out of those jams. And and the 2-4 ERA, I think, speaks for itself over the last nine games. This is a version of Michael Kopech we, frankly, have not seen since he's been here with the White Sox. Dominant for the better part of a month and a half in the starting rotation. And it's a starting rotation that top five in baseball. So I know you see this West Coast road trip so far, one and three, you drop the two games and that heartbreaker in 11 innings in Los Angeles, the comeback win last night. But I still think when you look at this team and you look at this division, you don't want to beat yourself up about it yet. There, There's a conversation to be had with the trade deadline looming, it's not late or it's not early, excuse me, forever. Eventually, you're going to get to that middle point of the season. I can't believe it's already June 17th. We're already in Father's Day weekend and we're already getting that close to the deadline. There's a conversation to be had about whether this team should buy or sell. And I think if they were in any other division in baseball, they would be selling. At 11 games under 500, they would look at the writing on the wall. They would look at this window that they thought they were a contender, and they'd probably be looking to sell. But in this division, five and a half games out of first, if you can find a way to play a little bit over 500, I mean, nothing crazy. If you could play 520 baseball for the rest of the season, you could find yourself right in the hunt of this division. And when you look at the pitching staff and when you look at the bullpen with guys like Keenan Middleton who have been shut down out of that pen and relief situations with guys like Joe Kelly, who there have been moments of struggle, but there have been month stretches where you couldn't buy a run off him. You couldn't buy a run off somebody like Kendall Graveman. Liam Hendricks uh, hurt right now, but working his way back into this bullpen. There are things to get hopeful about, and when you're seeing the long ball be as effective as it is for the, for the offense, if really they can find ways to just get on base and cash in when they have runners in scoring position, I don't see any reason why 
you should think you're out of this division race. I don't see any reason why we should be piling things in and going, we got to sell everything off. I don't think we're quite there yet. There's an argument on the other side as well. We'll talk about it all with Connor McKnight coming up next. This is, uh, before we do that, start planning for your outing to the ballpark. Perfect for family reunions, fundraisers, and more. Plus, it's the best way to save on single-game prices. After all, White Sox games are better with a group. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash groups or call or text 312-674-1000 for more info. Connor McKnight, when we come back, ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. Continuing on, White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. Shane Orling sitting in with you till pregame, which I will have at 2.30. And then it'll be Len Casper working solo today on the call at 3.10, the first pitch. Right now, Connor McKnight joins us. Connor, what's up, man, in Seattle? How you doing? Hey, Shay, how you doing, man? Good to hear it from you. I'm doing well. So we were just talking about some of the potential all-stars on this team, and I brought up Jake Berger, who has he doesn't he's not a qualified hitter. He's not qualified for awards as it stands. But if he stays in the lineup every day, he might be. And right now, he ranks fourth in all of baseball and slugging. He's up there with Judge, with Otani, with JD Martinez, with guys who we know have been around and are mashers. Is this something that do you think Jake Berger can just stay up there in the stratosphere with some of these sluggers? I, I think he can. I think that's the elite skill set that Jake Berger's got. You know, we saw a couple of bats last night where they spun some stuff in his direction. And he went after it and missed it. But he showed the ability, I think, oh, especially over the last couple of weeks, Shay, to kind of readjust back, get back to that kind of approach where he's looking at something, you know, trying to hit a line drive and, and ended up hitting for a whole lot of power because that's kind of what he does. I think what's been really impressive uh, about Jake so far it's just kind of the, the mindset, the bounce back that he's had. And I think that speaks to where he's come from, right? I mean, you have the injuries that he had, the history that he had after being a first-round draft pick. That, that bounce back is crucial for players in this league because the game's so hard as it is. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Jake makes it. Remember, too, I was just looking through some of the Mariners' bios. Todd France, who plays uh, first base for the ends, and is a pretty good one, he made the all-star team last year. But he filled in for Mike Trout after Trout pulled out of the All-Star game, yeah. I think with a calf injury, right? So I, guys make it like that. And we also have a history over the last couple of years, maybe the last five, eight years, something like that, of guys who aren't necessarily All-Stars going to hit in the home run derby, which would be a really fun thing to see and a pretty decent, uh, I don't know if you call it a consolation prize because it's pretty cool, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if Jake Berger's got a couple of mashed here at, uh, in Seattle over the All-Star break. 16 home runs on the season. I, he's got one of the most fun slugger swings that I think you'll see. When he's in the box, he just looks like a guy who hits nukes. You know, like when you see the, one of your buddies pull up to like a sub at a, at a beer league softball game and gets out of the car, and you're like, that guy pounds the baseball. You can just see it when Jake Berger gets in the box. He's one of those guys. Yeah, he's got that dad strength now, too, so I think that factors in. Uh, the mustache was on point, Tom, this morning. It is, it is freshly shorn, so that's a good look for him. <laughs> I, think, I think the other thing, too, what's, what's really fun about Jake, I, I, think you, I, I think a lot of people noticed it in the series against the Dodgers. He had a ground ball to short. Mookie Betts was playing over there, and Jake just beat him. Uh, he, just, he just flat out beat him to first base, and I think that was – I talked about it a little bit earlier this week. 
that's one of my favorite things because we don't have, you know, you, you play interleague play all year, right? And everybody sees yeah. everybody. So kind of these moments where, you know, when you and I were, were kids, you, you, the NL is a little foreign to the American League and nobody in the American League really knows the National League. So you have this moment where I bet Mookie Betts is up there, elite ball player, right? Great defender, solid arm, the whole thing. And he looks at Jake and goes, kind of pudgy. He's got big Must boy dash. speed, Connor. I've talked about this with he's, our great EP. There's no way he's that. Right. He, uh, Brendan Riley and I talked about this. His baseball savant page, and I know this is geeky, he's in the 77th percentile in sprint speed. You'd never think that looking at him, but he's a hustler. The dude can run, and he absolutely flew down the first baseline, and there's Mookie Betts going, well, hell, I didn't think that was going to happen. <laughs> Jake Berger's got a hit, you know? So the other all-star candidate I floated, Luis Robert, having his career year power-wise anyway, 17 home runs, the batting average creeping up the past month and a half. He's been great, almost 300. We've always talked about him as being one of those five-tool players early on as a prospect, got the Mike Trout comparisons. Are we really seeing him start to round in to be in that superstar? Yeah, I think he's getting there. You know, obviously there are some improvements that can be made in his game, right? Like every slugger in this sport, the slider can perplex at times. And that's because the stuff at this level is so good. So I think, you know, refining that and maybe being a little bit better uh, of an on-base type of guy could help this lineup overall, will obviously help his game overall. But what he has been able to do since that prolonged slump right before he got benched uh, in that miscommunication conversation toward the end of May, is he's been able to keep the streaks, or keep the slumps rather, shorter, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's not like there's a three-week slump in Luis Roberts' game anymore. He had the one, and, and I think learning how to fix what ails you is crucial because tomorrow's game's coming for you regardless of whether you're ready or not. So you, you might as well fix what, what you're hurting. I think with Robert as well, what's been really impressive is that the defense for him has been elite, you know, like Kevin Kiermaier, oh, he's been Kiermaier level defense. Yeah, even when he hasn't been hitting. And, I, you know, that's big for this team, too. It's not a great defensive ball club, but I think it is better than a lot of metrics kind of say it is, probably towards the bottom of the third still. So you, you need that elite defender in center field, and Robert's given them that. And as much as the conversation around this team is, you know, try and get back to 500, you know, tread water through a difficult June, all that kind of thing. In order to do that, you need Luis Robert Jr. doing what he's doing in center field. Yeah, uh, Connor, I want to talk about this, too. One of those national stories that came out that you and I were texting about a little bit earlier in the week. A story from The Athletic. MLB intends to curb team spending on tech. Staffing limits also discussed. Officials say basically what I'm gathering from this is... If it's an area in baseball operations that is not a player's salary, they're going to try to cut down how much you can spend on it. Yeah, I, I saw this story, too, and we'll see if Major League Baseball gets their way on this. I think, you know, here's a little history lesson. In, in 1899, Tsar Nicholas <laughs> of Russia was, and in the whole world, we're, we're kind of approaching a, a damn fool idea in the Balkans, right? That's how we got World War I started. And, and what Nicholas wanted to do, knowing that he had a giant country filled with people, an army ready to roll, uh, but he had a bo- whole bunch of, of technology that was behind the times, right? What he didn't have was was uh, the, the weapons he needed to fight said coming war. So he proposed at the Hague Conference in 99 uh, an armistice, you know, a stoppage 
a bunch of rules that insisted that these new technological devices, these modern marvels, weren't allowed on the battlefield. And I think when you start proposing armistices like that, when you start proposing, hey, let's not all step to the cutting edge here, you've probably already lost the fight. I don't like this at all. I think when you talk to the eggheads, the propeller heads, the nerds in this game who matter so much Prop now heads, huh? and, who, and who a lot of people admire, right? A lot of people admire, and, and they should. And then you say, oh, by the way, this stuff that you've been doing, it's making this game too difficult for other teams to compete. I, I think that's nonsense. You know, I, I don't like the shift ban because I think you should be allowed to play the best version of baseball you can find. And this is kind of in that same scene I'm, I'm not a fan of this. I don't like this about the sport, and I don't know that anyone's going to be able to stop the rules changes if, if they do happen. I want to talk about that with you, what you just mentioned about the shift ban, because you are speaking to my soul, and I think you're the first person that I've talked to maybe in a year that agrees with me that the shift ban wasn't good. Something I've always believed in sports is when you look at like the NBA and the three point line was a huge change, but it changed the game kind of on its own. People didn't immediately start jacking 10 threes when the three point line came into place that developed over time as the analytics let people figure that out. I thought the shift was sort of the same deal where it's a thing that starts happening and you have to let the teams and the players evolve on their own. You can't force them to go back in time to what baseball was and take certain things away. And I know people have liked a lot of the results, but I like to allow the game to develop and evolve at its own pace. I think we were robbed of that a little bit when they banned the shift. I agree with you. I know Darren Jackson agrees with you as well. He's not a proponent of the shift ban. And I'll tell you what, you know, look around league batting averages and whatnot. They're not up, not really. The kinds of hits that we see go through the infield have changed a little bit. But overall, I don't think that the shift ban is doing what we were all told the shift ban was going to do. It has changed the aesthetic a little bit, and that's nice. But at the end of the day, Shay, the reason that shift bans needed to come into play from, from MLB's perspective is because guys throw 104 with run and sink. And we're never going to change the distance of the mound to home plate. I think we're past that. Yeah. Velocity is the issue in this game. It's why guys don't hit. It's why they strike out. So instead of changing the, the velocity, right? I mean, we, we used to not be able to bend our elbow when we threw to home plate, right? Back, back when Zar Nicholas was, was proposing some <laughs> nonsense, right? That we used to not be able to do that. And now you can, and that's fundamentally changed the game. It may be that, it's, that pitchers are always going to be ahead of hitters in this regard because they initiate the action. However, the shift ban, I don't think, has been the thing that's changed this game so much in the last year, last calendar year. It also feels a little half-hearted. Every time I'm watching a game, these guys are cheating over the line <laughs> as soon as the pitch gets thrown. They're like right up towing it pre-pitch. It feels like the shift is still there. It's just been delayed a little bit, if that makes sense. Um, on I, the topic of pitch velocities, may also be resulting in pitcher injuries, but that might be a longer conversation for another day. Yeah. It's, it's possible. I've, I've not yet seen anybody who's you know, smart enough to do the numbers say that, yes, this is definite, this is a thing, but we are starting to get some of those studies, some of those reports out, and I, I, I think it is going to have to be something to watch for here over the next, mm, call it two, three years, something like that. 
Connor, appreciate you coming on. Have a good call today. And for my money, Connor McKnight, the only baseball voice in the country that could give you a Czar Nicholas 1899 metaphor with regards to front office spending. We'll, we'll see if Benetti matches on the national broadcast today. <laughs> bring, bring the heat with him, huh? Sounds good, man. All right, have a great day, Connor. Appreciate you coming on. That was Connor McKnight, your typical White Sox Weekly host. He's on the TV side today. Shane Orling sitting in with you through White Sox pregame. And White Sox fans, attention to Indiana Jones enthusiasts. Join us for Indiana Jones Day on Sunday, June 25th, as the White Sox take on the Red Sox at 1.10 p.m. The first 1,500 fans to purchase their specially priced ticket package will receive a limited edition Indiana Vaughn bobblehead. To purchase your ticket package, visit whitesox.com slash Indiana Jones. I got to tell you, the White Sox are going above and beyond with some of these bobbleheads this year. The Aloy Jimenez, hi mom, earlier in the season, and now you can get an Indiana Jones-styled Andrew Vaughn, uh, June 25th. The White Sox doing... uh, doing yeoman's work with these bobbleheads. When we come back, an interesting report from Ken Rosenthal yesterday about the looming MLB trade deadline relates to your White Sox. We'll do that next. ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. Shane Orling sitting in with you today through pregame, 2.30 pregame today. White Sox at Mariners, game two of that series. The White Sox fell in the first game, 3-2 last night. A home run from Teoscar Hernandez of the M's put them over the top in the seventh inning. Another good effort from Michael Kopech, just one run allowed, some command issues, but worked through traffic, worked through the six walks, able to get through that game four and a third innings with just the one run allowed. So some good work still from the pitching staff. That's been a pretty consistent thing this season. Uh, But we are barreling towards Major League Baseball's trade deadline. In an old adage in this game, it ain't early forever. And as we get into mid to late June, it ain't early anymore. We're at a point now where the reports are coming out. The national talking heads are are getting their stuff together and bringing up what certain teams have decisions to make. Now, one of the most interesting teams in terms of making one of those decisions and the classic decision is buy or sell at major league baseball's trade deadline is your Chicago White Sox. 10, uh, 11 games under 500, excuse me. Uh, and just five and a half out in the American League Central in one of the oddest divisions, probably a bit impacted by Major League Baseball's scheduling changes that see divisions play less games against interdivision opponents and more games against everyone else in baseball. Uh, the Central Division leader right now is your Minnesota Twins at 35 and 35. 500 baseball is going to be good enough to contend in this thing. The Sox at 11 games under today, but. If you can weather the storm through this month of June, the schedule eases up. You get some more divisional games in the month of July. You get a little bit of an easier slate. If you can play 5-10, baseball, you might be looking at a deadline where you're still just four, five, dare I say, three games out of the division when we get to Major League Baseball's trade deadline at the end of July. There are decisions that have to be made. Now, Ken Rosenthal, who is 
one of the most visible and uh, accurate MLB insiders that there is, has an interesting report relating to the White Sox. He says, the White Sox five and a half out in the AL Central, but 11 games under 500, telling prospective trade partners that at least at this point, they might only be willing to trade players under expiring contracts and not those with greater control. So the potential rentals include right-handers Lucas Giolito and Mike Clevenger, catcher Yasmani Grandal, second baseman Elvis Andrews, a couple relievers. So what I want the point of this conversation is this. There's a big conversation to be had about whether the White Sox should buy this this trade deadline and try to contend in a division that's really bad and get into a playoff where, look, a year ago we saw the wild card Phillies, the final team in, in the National League, go to the World Series. We saw 100-win teams eliminated in their first round of the playoffs. This is not a playoffs where... Like often in the NBA, and I know maybe not a great example this year when the eight seed Miami Heat went to the NBA Finals, but oftentimes you see the top seeds dominate those playoffs. Baseball's different. Baseball, if you can just get in and you have a rotation as good as the rotation the White Sox have in theory with Kopech and Dylan Cease and Giolito if he sticks around and Lance Lynn, maybe you can win a series because you're able to support the front end of your rotation, get the best out of a bullpen that has been really good in rather long stretches at times this season. That's where you hang on to things and say, look, we're going to buy. Because when we look on paper, we have a lineup that historically is filled with talent. And some of these guys, Tim Anderson, slumping this season. But this is a lineup that has been really good with players who have displayed a propensity to hit the hell out of the baseball tim anderson is one of those guys who he's been down this season but in the past he's shown he can really hit the ball i think when you see that lineup and you go if this thing gets healthy and these guys get right and we can figure out how to get some of these guys out of the slump they've done that with robert i think that's demonstrable where Luis robert went through a really long slump in the early goings of the season and put the work in, talked with the coaching staff. He's gotten right. He's figured out what went wrong. We just talked about that with Connor McKnight. That's the next step in his development is figuring out how to fix what's not working. I think this is the first time we've seen that from Luis Roberts. So I don't think there's any reason to think that can't happen with Tim Anderson. If we can figure out what's wrong with Tim Anderson and fix it, if we can figure out why they're not able to hit line drives and get on base and only hit home runs. If we can fix some of those things, then I think you're looking at a lineup that I'm not crazy to say it's the best in the American League Central. It is the best if it plays to its full potential. You have a pitching staff, in particular a rotation, uh, with Michael Kopech as dominant as he's been that can go toe-to-toe with any rotation in this division. And you have a bullpen that at times has been legitimately unhittable for lengthy stretches. Virtually the entire month of May, the bullpen was not allowing a run. Nobody was scoring when you got the starter out of games for the White Sox. If you have all of those things, and I think the White Sox do, it's just a matter of putting it together. There's no reason you can't win a bad division, sneak into the playoffs, and potentially do some damage. On the other side, 
if you do choose to sell, I think there's an interesting thing from Jim Bowden I read in The Athletic that said there is no team that could have a bigger impact on the trade deadline than the Chicago White Sox. If the White Sox start to crater, they could be the headliner of the deadline because no one would have more impact starters to trade than them. I give you that quote from uh, Bowden, and I pair it with this from Ken Rosenthal talking about they're only willing to trade players under expiring contracts. I challenge you to tell me Lucas Giolito is not an impact starter, that second baseman Elvis Andrews would not be an impact starter. So if we get into the conversation of, is this team going to sell? I think when you hear that, everybody defaults to the fear that, oh, selling, that means we're giving up, we're going in the barrel, it's going to be long-term, we'll be in the basement, seller-dwellers in this division, we're going to go into the minor leagues, get prospects, long-term developmental stretches, we don't want to do that, we don't have an appetite to go for a long-term rebuild anymore. Well, if you're committed to keeping your core around, if you're committed to keeping Dylan Cease, if you're committed to keeping Michael Kopech, if you're committed to keeping Luis Robert, maybe Jake Berger continues to turn into this superstar. If you're going to keep all of these guys who have a longer-term control and only sell off players who, look, insiders are telling you, are some of the most high-impact guys available. Lucas Giolito in particular, this is not a very strong pitching market at this deadline and everybody who's in contention and believes that they can win a world series has holes. Like if I go through this piece from Jim Bowden and I just find you some of the real contenders like the Baltimore Orioles, they're in need of a starting pitcher. The Tampa Bay Rays, they need rotation depth. All of these contending teams have holes in their rotations and could use an impact starter. The LA Angels need a starting pitcher. Just going through this, every one of these teams that could win a World Series is looking for a starter, and there are very few out there on the market. The White Sox, if they choose to sell, and only sell pieces that they don't have long-term control over, like Lucas Giolito, you are going to get back a haul. And you keep around some of the younger talent that you have long-term control over. You let them hang around. You let them to continue to develop. We're seeing it with Luis Robert. We're seeing it with Jake Berger. We're seeing it with Michael Kopech. Those guys stick around, and you supplement them with younger prospects after selling some of these rental pieces there are pieces that would be viewed as rentals to other teams throughout this league. You help bolster a, a rotation on a contending team with Giolito, and they give you a package, a haul back that you can then turn your current core into the veterans you need in a couple of years when you want to get back in this thing and open the window. So I'm of the opinion that this team, as it stands, if things can get right and if you're sitting three, four, five games out at the deadline, you should be interested in buying because we saw it a year ago that you can just get into the playoffs like the Phillies did and you can make magic happen if you have a great hitter. They had Bryce Harper. You have Luis Robert. I'm not telling you those are the same guys, but it's the same kind of five-tool talent. They're going to go out and they're going to be able to perform in big moments if you get those clutch performances sure a team that just sneaks into the playoffs can make a trip to the fall classic we saw it last year we could see it again this year if you're that close i would be interested in buying the point i'm making to you is this 
when you hear that the Sox could sell, I get that it's scary. I get that for White Sox fans who have been around and who have seen this rebuild time and time again, you would be afraid of that. But this is a unique opportunity where you have guys who are impact players, who are on expiring deals, and who teams are desperate to get so that they can contend for a ring, so that they can contend to put a banner up in their stadiums. You could ship those these, some of these pieces off with expiring deals like a Giolito and get back a haul. And you're looking at resetting this thing more quickly than a lot of people, uh, I think, default to thinking when they hear sell. Everybody hears sell, they think that's going to be four or five years down the road. Baseball doesn't work that way. Look at the Arizona Diamondbacks. They were a 110-loss team two years ago. They have almost 50 wins, and they're leading the NL West right now with Corbin Carroll, who could win an MVP. And you go out and make some savvy moves, and you go find those players, and you put them with the core that you have, who will be vets by that time. I'm just making the point to you. Selling isn't the scariest thing there is. There's a, there's a world where you do it and you get out safely and we turn this thing around pretty quickly. I would buy, but I don't think selling's terrifying. We'll ask Jesse Rogers about this, get some more insight from him as the White Sox approach the trade deadline. Coming up next on White Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. Shane Orling sitting in with you. Sox fans get to the ballpark early on Sunday, June 25th for Family Sundays, presented by Coca-Cola. And don't miss pregame kids autograph sessions. The first 125 kids to enter at Gate 5 will be escorted to a special area where they will receive autographs from some of their favorite White Sox players. How cool is that? Learn more at WhiteSox.com slash Sunday. Right now, Jesse Rogers joining us. Jesse, I was just talking about this Ken Rosenthal report that the White Sox uh, are reaching out to teams. They could be interested in selling some of the potential rentals and only the potential rentals, not giving up any big pieces. That would be guys like Lucas Giolito, Mike Clevenger, Yasmani Grandal, Elvis Andrews. I want to focus on Giolito. He's been a little bit resurgent. And when I look around this league, there's a lot of teams, the Braves, the Rays, the Orioles, in contention to do damage in the postseason that need rotation help. What kind of a haul could you realistically fetch if Giolito's on the move as a rental? Yeah, I don't think it's as big as you might think because it is a two-month rental. He's not top tier. He's like second tier, right? Um, you definitely get a good prospect. Let's start with at least one good prospect, triple-A, double-A, maybe two. You don't get four or five, nothing like that. Because remember, Shay, there is some competition out there. I was listening to your last segment, and, and yeah, there's not a, there's not a, you know, a dozen starting, good starting pitchers available. But, look, Shane Bieber might be available. The Cardinals pitchers, like Jordan Montgomery, might be available. We don't know what the Chicago Cubs are going to do, but there could be one or two available there. There will be pitchers available that are equal to or maybe even a little bit better than Lucas Giolito. But look, if you get a young AAA starter that is less than a year away from making it to the majors, that's a good start. If you get two guys, maybe a AAA and a AA, and they're both you know pretty good prospects, that's also pretty good. You don't get four or five. So let's be realistic about this um, unless he's the only one, and he won't be the only one. There are other guys available. So you do what you do. You make the best of it you can in a, in a losing situation. A guy that's going to walk, um, someone else gets two months of him, and you get six years of a AAA prospect. I think 
Um, you, you hope for one or two good prospects out of a deal like that, to be to, to be honest. You mentioned Shane Bieber and the Guardians. They are kind of in the same predicament as the White Sox, where things aren't going as well as they would have hoped this season, but they're in this awful AL Central, this very winnable division. They're, I think the Guardians, five or six games under five hundred this morning, but right in the thick of it, two or three games out of first place. The White Sox, 11 games under five hundred, but just five and a half out of first. It, it, I made the argument that you could actually buy at the deadline if you're still just three, four, five out. And it might not take a lot with the Twins leading the division at 500. Is there a world where you see the White Sox becoming buyers at the end, at the deadline? Not really. Not really. Now, this is an interesting front office. There's not many front offices that have been together as long as Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams. And you have to sort of in, in, input that into your thinking as well. My feeling is um, they're not, they don't have much of an appetite uh, to sell, right? They put this team together. If they thought this was their last hurrah, if their jobs were on the line, which in this organization, I'm not sure that they are, maybe they would try to convince Jerry to buy a little bit and just make that one last push with this group. But I, I, they ha- they'd have to buy a starting pitcher, to be honest. That's where they would have to buy it. Some and, and and you know Shane B. They need Shane Bieber. They need another sort of top tier kind of guy in the starting rotation. Um, I'm not sure where else you'd really buy, to be honest. Uh, so I, I don't see it. I don't see it. They, they don't have much of a farm system to to use to get to bring guys in. So no, I, I think what you said last night. Been one, one one of the things you said. The best case scenario is a small sell off while still saying we're going to compete. And that is, again, the expiring contracts that you mentioned, Giolito being at the top of that list. Let's say you just trade Giolito and you get some AAA guy back that's ready to rock and roll next year. Well, you fill his spot in rotation. You still have enough names on paper that you can still contend in that bad AL Central the rest of this season, even without Giolito. It's just a balancing act for executives. You have to do what's right for the team, but also consider that each season is sacred. But let's not bury the lead here, Shay. They are 11 games under 500. Yeah. And yes, only five and a half out, but with three teams ahead of them, five and a half feels more like eight or nine. Because, you know, you have, to, you have to bypass all of them. And remember, in 1997, they were three and a half games out in second place, and they sold. So, I, obviously, it's a different situation here. But a lot would have to change, in my mind, for this team to feel like they're contenders. Though, again... This front office who put this team together could convince themselves of anything and ownership of anything and and think they might get back into it, even if they're 10 under a month from now. So the the real answer is if the trade deadline was two days away, this team would have to feel like they're out of it. It's just a way of, you know, watch the games, look at the record. But they're not. They're a month or so to go and they might convince themselves otherwise. Yeah, unique circumstances in this division for sure. One and three so far on this West Coast road trip. That's pretty much been where all of those 11 games under 500 have come. They're 11 games under 500 on the road. They're exactly 500 at home. What's going on with this team when they leave guaranteed rate that's causing them to struggle so mightily on the road? Shay, I wish I could give you a brilliant answer, but if if you look at last year's standings, it was kind of reversed. They were pretty good on the road and bad at home. It, it's it's pretty random at times. It really is. I mean, I've the managers and executives in past years where it was really lopsided one way or another, and they will do a, a deep dive into why. 
what's happening. Are we traveling at the wrong times? Are we are we getting to bed late on the road? Like, and and there's no great answer. I don't have a great answer for you. This, I mean, this is more the norm, right? For an average team, you should be better at home, and then you right. probably aren't great on the road. It's when the reverse happens, like last year, when you're bad at home and good on the road, you try to figure figure things out because you do feel like that's the easier route to go. Like you, you figured out the, 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 the world part. Now let's just bottle that and bring it home. I, I don't have an answer other than, you know, sort of average teams usually are worse on the road for just the normal reasons. You're playing in a foreign park. You, you're batting first, you know, all, all the normal reasons that you would think home field advantage would matter. It's, it's when the reverse happens that you, you really don't understand it. So my answer is they're just an average team and, 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 and just worse on the road. Cause that's usually what, it, how it looks like and how it works. Uh, Jesse, the big news this morning, seemingly for the first time in forever, Tim Anderson moved down in the lineup from the leadoff slot to the two slot, so he'll hit right in front of Luis Robert. We know Tim Anderson loves to swing at the first pitch and a lot of at-bats. Is lineup protection a real thing here where you get in front of a guy in Robert who's been fantastic lately, feels like he's rounding into the superstar form we hoped he'd have as a prospect? Maybe you buy Tim some better pitches to look at by moving him down and get a spark here? Yeah, that's the answer. It's not really about protection. It's just changing it up, changing it up. Maybe after almost three months now with the pitch clock, Anderson's not comfortable. Who knows? Because I've heard that, you know, the leadoff man, really has to has to change his routine with this pitch clock in between innings. You know, there, there's less time. I don't know. But he, he's obviously not having a good year at leadoff, so you just try something else. I really don't think it has much to do with protection. It just has to do with let's give someone else that, that tougher job of leading off and being ready to hit right away and give Tim just that one extra breath before he has to come to the plate. I, I guarantee you that it's, it's really about that. Than, than any sort of strategic construction, protection, and all that stuff. It's just like, it's not working. Let's try something else. Do you buy that they can spark Tim back with this? I mean, there's been so much talk. I've talked to you about it. I've seen talk on, on Twitter that Tim might need a change of scenery. Could the change of scenery be as simple as just putting him in a new slot in the lineup? Like a lot of things with the White Sox, Shay, it, it's a Hail Mary attempt, right? You're just trying some different things here. Look, um, we can do an hour on Tim Anderson, and I, I'm trying to be really objective about this. And, and, and I, you correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, last night, one out in the eighth inning was the, was the clincher for me. The play he made, is yeah. it, it just tells me that, that this has nothing to do with mechanics. This has nothing to do with, even with health. Something's going on between his ears, right? He's, he's come public with some personal things. You want to draw a straight line from that to his play? Fine. I don't know what the reason is, but I've never seen a shortstop play this poorly in terms of using his head. You know what I mean? Forget about the mechanics of throwing the first or anything else. His head is somewhere else. We've seen it time and again yeah. this season. And just the other day when he went to second instead of first on that, on that play, if you remember the ground ball, and this last night was an all-timer. I mean, that's an all-timer. And I don't want to pile on. I'm just giving you more of an objective view than a subjective view. Yeah. The numbers speak for themselves. The defensive numbers, the offensive numbers speak for themselves, let alone the eye test. So I don't know if a, moving from first to second is a spark. I really don't. It's something to try. But I think this is a guy that's got to dig deep and, and find it himself and, 
and, and, and recover and try to have a half-good season here. It's Jesse Rogers on White Sox Weekly joining us today. Jesse, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Have a great day. You too, Shay. Enjoyed it. Talk to you soon. It's Jesse Rogers. Uh, quickly pause for 10 seconds. We'll get a station identification. White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. White Sox 10-game ticket plan gives you the ultimate flexibility. Pick games based on your schedule and your budget. Don't miss any of the action this summer. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash ticket plans or call 312-674-1000. White Sox Weekly. With Shane Orling right now, taking you up to White Sox pregame. I'll be in with you 2.30 on the pregame show. In the first pitch at 3.10, Len Casper solo on the call today. And an interesting move in the White Sox lineup this morning as Tim Anderson, who has for as long as it feels like any of us can remember, been the leadoff man for the Chicago White Sox, is moved down in the lineup. He will hit second, the full lineup here. Andrew Benintendi leading off and playing left field. Tim Anderson, the shortstop, will hit second. Luis Robert Jr. will hit third. The designated hitter, Aloy Jimenez, hitting fourth. Gavin Sheets behind him in the five-hole. It'll be Andrew Vaughn hitting sixth and playing first. Jake Berger uh, will hit seventh and play third base. Elvis Andrews will hit eighth and play second. And rounding out the order, the nine-hitter and catcher, Sebi Zavala. Lucas Giolito on the hill for the White Sox. Again, first pitch at 310. Len Casper will have the call. Flying solo today. I want to talk a little bit about this Tim Anderson move. Uh, We talked with Jesse Rogers a segment ago, and he mentioned that this is kind of the uh, Hail Mary, the things haven't gone well for Tim this season. It's not a secret. Uh, But we've seen him be a great hitter throughout his career in Major League Baseball. Since coming up, he had that breakout season in 2019, hit 335, slugged 508, 18 homers in a full season, Uh, the shortened pandemic year he hit 10 home runs looked like he was turning into a true superstar was great again in 2021 the 90 plus win season white Sox won the division made the playoffs everything was looking up for the Sox shortstop this year it's been a bit of a different story and obviously there have been certain distractions but Things just have not worked for Tim, hitting just 250 on base percentage under 290, a slugging percentage under 300. It just hasn't been a good campaign. Jesse brought up an interesting point. The pitch clock has forced hitters, especially in the leadoff role, to adjust their approach so much. It used to be kind of free and easy. You get out there as the leadoff hitter. You get your time, get set, get that extra breath. Tim's sort of been taken away from having that. This pitch clock forces the pace to jump so much. It's so much quicker. And maybe that's been a bit of a factor in why Tim has struggled so much at the plate. I think if you're an old-school baseball person, you start to look at this and, hey, 
Luis Robert has been as good as anybody this season when you think about uh, a hitter, and especially lately, uh, since May 1st, the numbers on Robert, who will hit behind him today, he's hitting 293, slugging 620, an OPS close to 1,000, uh, weighted runs created plus if you care about the analytics. I know a lot of you don't, but it, it, it means something when you're at 163 and league average is 100. Luis Robert has been one of the best hitters in the American League. Maybe you buy Tim a little bit of lineup protection. I've always believed that's a real thing. I don't know if it's a part of the White Sox strategy in moving Tim into the two-hole, but with the threat looming of Luis Robert, who has pounded the ball lately, he was one of the best hitters in all of baseball in the month of May. A short slump, but he's gotten right. He's been able to be really effective. Last night wore a golden sombrero, four strikeouts, but overall, since May 1st, he has been one of the best hitters in the American League. He's been one of the best fielders in the American League. A true potential superstar in the middle of the White Sox order. And I think by putting Tim Anderson right there in front of Robert, maybe you buy him better pitches to swing at. We know he's a free swinger his whole career. He's loved to jump in and take a cut at that first pitch, try to attack the pitcher early. That's the way Tim profiles as a hitter. Maybe you buy him some meatier pitches, get something over the plate. You can't afford to put multiple guys on base, especially with Andrew Benintendi, who gets on base, setting the table from that leadoff spot. You might buy a little bit of success if you get danger early with Benintendi getting on, Tim behind him, and then actual real threats with Robert, Aloy, Berger, Vaughn, Sheets in that middle of the order, all of a sudden you're looking at a lineup that can become pretty dangerous. And that's what I think the hope is for the White Sox, that you get a little bit of manufactured change of scenery by getting Tim out of the one hole and into the two slot, change his approach. Jesse mentioned, we talked to him, Jesse Rogers mentioned, buy him an extra breath, buy him an opportunity to settle in before he gets into the box, get him used to the pitch clock, get him a little more comfortable in his approaches, and the line of protection, which I believe is a real thing, maybe he gets some better pitches to hit, gets something meatier that he can look at. Um, So that's really important to me. And we have something now we want to play for you. White Sox manager Pedro Grifol talked about Tim Anderson and this move in the lineup. Take a listen to this. I think it helps our club. I I think that uh, Benny's got a high on base. I think uh, think T.A. uses that side of the field really, really well. Um, The idea is for Benny to be on base, T.A. to use that side, us go first to third and get the big boys up with men with men scoring position and men on the bases. We've hit six solo homers, and we want some traffic when those homers are hit. Good? All right. Thanks, guys. (laughs) You had said before, though, that you, because Tim has been in that spot for so long, that, and maybe for other reasons that you hadn't really... I won't move him out of that spot to the back of the lineup, but I would move him to the two to create more traffic for us. But uh, I would never think about a demotion for Tim Anderson after two and a half months of baseball. There's no way. This is actually for the team. This is actually helps us. I, I believe that this has a, a chance to help us. That right there is what I've been preaching. I mean, Pedro just said everything I've been talking about. You get a guy on base, Andrew Benintendi, who's been effective at doing that, 
this season. I mean, I know there's been complaints from the, the Sox Twitter folks about Benintendi, but he got off the schneid yesterday with Homer. He's got on base this season with a three thirty five on base percentage. You get somebody who can get on base, and you have that middle of the lineup. Homers haven't been a problem. Nine home runs in the last three games. Hitting the long ball is one of the things that this club really does quite well. And 13th in baseball, you think, well, you're middle of the pack. That's better than where a lot of the offensive numbers are. The home run is really the one thing that we can point to with this lineup and go, that's been strong. So I, I love what I heard from Pedro there. What Pedro said there was basically what I've been preaching. Get Benintendi on base. Get Tim Anderson an extra beat so that he can get in, get a little comfier when he gets into the batter's box, have a different approach, get a better pitch because the middle of the order has been really quite lethal lately. And maybe you get two runners on, Robert comes up, all of a sudden you're up 3 nothing with one swing. That is exactly what we've been looking for from this White Sox lineup. It's what we've been looking for from Pedro Gafol. I think it's a bold move here in the middle of the season to move Tim out of the spot that he's occupied for the better part of the last four years. Uh, it, it, it takes him out of maybe his comfort zone, but Honestly, maybe this buys him a little comfort. Maybe this removes some of the distraction. Maybe this gets him into a place where the pitch clock is something he's needed to adjust to. Maybe this gets him a little more used to it. And I think it's a great move from the White Sox. I think it's a great move from Pedro Graffol. I think lineup protection is a real thing. I know a lot of people, uh, as Connor called them in the last hour, the propeller heads, tend to think lineup protection's a myth. You are who you are as a hitter. Wherever you hit, it doesn't make a difference. I think when you're a free swinger like Tim Anderson, who loves to swing at the first pitch, the eyes open up, you see something meaty, maybe somebody misses middle-middle, just being in a position where you might get those better pitches because of who's hitting directly behind you, instead of Benintendi, who's really, and not being disrespectful, he's just an on-base threat, that is more a traditionally constructed lineup. You put Benintendi at the top, let him set the table, let Tim advance him, and then your power hitters, the meat of your order, your Luis Roberts, your Aloys, your Jake Burgers, your Andrew Vaughns, your Gavin Sheets, those guys have been delivering. We saw multiple back-to-back home runs just two nights ago. We saw the solo shots last night. If you can get guys on base in front of these sluggers, that's where this lineup suddenly becomes one of the more dangerous in this division, certainly, but maybe in the American League. And you start to see a little bit more of what this team looked like two years ago in 2021 when they were able to win over 90 games and they were able to win the American League Central. That's what we're all looking for. That's what we're all hoping for. I loved the answer from Pedro. I love this move by the White Sox. I think it's bold. I think it's a big decision. It's something they haven't shown an appetite to do, but they are now, and I love it from this team, and I'm hoping that it pays some dividends. Uh, On the other side, some stuff to clean up. We've got a little update on some news from around the league regarding the Oakland Athletics. We've got some Uh, stuff about these power hitters for the White Sox and a recent power surge. And Michael Kopech had some things that I think you'd like to hear as well. We'll do all of that next. ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. It's White Sox Weekly. I'd like to thank Connor McKnight. Keenan Middleton, Jesse Rogers, all of them for joining us. Connor and Jesse especially. Father's Day weekend. A happy Father's Day to our friends, Connor McKnight and Jesse Rogers. Tomorrow, Connor, a new dad, celebrating 
his first Father's Day. Exciting for him. Thanks to them all for joining us. Sox fans, Run Your Socks Off is back. Join us at Guaranteed Rate on Saturday, August 5th for the Run Your Socks Off 5K presented by Planet Fitness. Racers will cross the on-field finish line and can head up to the concourse to enjoy a post-race party. All net proceeds benefit White Sox charities. Learn more at whitesox.com slash run. One of the big headlines, if you missed it this week in Major League Baseball, the Oakland A's, one of the storied brands in baseball history, are likely to be on the move. Basically all but finished. The board, I believe, voted, and it was a successful vote. The Oakland A's look to be headed to Las Vegas. Not a whole lot left to be done there. Um, look, it, it's it's sad to see baseball leaving Oakland. It's a great market. It's been one of the more recognizable teams of my childhood and of my lifetime. It's sad to see them leaving Oakland, but a new future for the Oakland A's as they look to be headed to Vegas in the very near future. I want to talk a little bit about the White Sox recent power surge, and it's not all Jake Berger. Jake Berger with five home runs in his last 11 games, but this team... Uh, all they do is hit the long ball. They haven't hit a lot lately. It's been a bit of a struggle just getting guys on base and and hitting between the into the gaps and between the infielders. But boy, do they hit the long ball! Nine home runs in the last three games. We'll hear them all now. Jake Berger hits a deep drive out into right center, and she's gonna go a home run, a Bergerian blast. It's one nothing. Berger hits a blast to left. Way back there. It is off the pole. It's a home run. We are tied. 1-1 uh, is hammered in the air. Deep to left, and it is gone. Luis Robert Jr. with his 16th. 2 nothing, And the 0-2 again is hit high and deep. Left center field, and she's going to go. Robert with a home run. 1-2 is hit out into deep right. Mookie Betts is tracking, and that ball is gone. Eloy just snuck it over that low wall in right field, and they've gone back-to-back. It's 2 to nothing. That ball is smoked. Deep left center field, and it is gone. A home run. Jake Berger has hit three over the last two nights. There's a line drive to left, and it'll go. They've gone back-to-back twice tonight. There's a swing and a line drive out into very deep right center, and it is gone. Gavin Sheets gives the White Sox the lead. An absolute rocket for his eight. 1-1 coming, and there's a blast out into deep right center field, and he just hit his first home run. With a sore right hand and all, Sox have another lead. It's 2-1. to The weight of the world now off his shoulders. He's got his first homer. White Sox 1-3 on the West Coast road trip, but man, there has been some fun to be had. Nine home runs in the last three games. You don't see that super often, so when you do, you'll hear them all here on White Sox Weekly. Shane Orling with you in the pregame coming up in about 10 minutes. 
Len Casper will have the solo call, White Sox at Mariners. Lucas Giolito on the hill for the Sox. First pitch coming your way at 310. Right now, uh, this is Father's Day weekend, and Father's Day in baseball, for me in particular, it was my initial link into the sport. My dad loved it growing up. He made sure I loved it. When I came up, we'd go to games all the time, sit out in the outfield, and I was too young to understand what was going on, so he'd hand me highlights for kids and different kinds of magazines so that I could find my own entertainment. And sure enough, as I got older, highlights for kids turned into a scorebook and me keeping score throughout the baseball game, being really locked in. Father's Day in baseball for me is special, spending time with my dad. And Sox pitcher Michael Kopech talked a little bit about what his life and what it means to him to be a father. Now that I have children, there's a lot more focus on creating a good home dynamic. You know, I have an important role as a father and hopefully a role model to them. I can pitch a great game or a horrible game and they don't know the difference. Um, And coming through the doors and seeing your kid's face light up and and run up and hug your leg, that kind of can make a bad day great and a good day better. It makes me a little bit more motivated to have success for them. So it makes it a a lot less pressure and a lot more fun. It's cool to see the personal side of a Major League Baseball player, especially one who's been as successful as Michael Kopech. It's interesting there talking about his kids don't know the difference if he has a great start or an awful start. Well, lately, it's been all great starts, and he's not alone. This is a Sox rotation and pitching staff that ranks among the top five in ERA this year. They have been excellent. I know you look at some of the numbers and you see some inflated ERAs with some of the pitchers, but for the most part, this staff with the resurgent Lucas Giolito and a dominant Michael Kopech of late, and you can't say enough about Kopech last night. Got himself in bits of trouble, struggled with the command a little bit, the six walks. But, boy, if his kids are motivating him to do well, they're doing a good job of it. In his last nine starts, 52 and a third innings, over 10 and a half strikeouts per nine. The walks I mentioned are still a little high, but his ERA just 2.41. So a happy Father's Day to Michael Kopech. And, listen, the kids won't need to tell the difference between a horrible and a good start because it's been all good starts for Kopech lately. He took the no decision last night, pitched just four and a third. The pitch count got a little out of control, and the walks got away from him. But still limiting the Mariners' lineup to just one run uh, in his start. He was excellent. He's been excellent. That's been great to see. 312-332-3776. few minutes left before we have to go to pregame. If you want to talk about your life in baseball, Father's Day and the connection, For me, I mentioned, this is how I got into the game. And I think it's an entry point for a lot of us in sports is coming up with our dads and coming up with, you know, they bleed their fandom into us. We have parents who have lived and died for decades with these teams who have been fans for their entire lives. And they pass that on to us as kids. My dad got me into the game, got me playing Little League, took me to tons of games as a kid. I mentioned sitting in that outfield, taking score in a in a summer heat, getting a hot dog, getting a soft drink, whatever it was. It was always a great time to be able to spend weekends like this and summer holidays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, the 4th of July, some of those where... 
baseball has a monopoly on the summer months and they have a monopoly on these summer holidays. And so they always connect a little bit to baseball for me. And I hope you're having some of that this weekend. The fathers out there enjoying their Father's Day weekend and the ability to enjoy some White Sox baseball and hopefully a winning White Sox game today on the road. White Sox looking to bounce back after the 3-2 loss last night, a seventh inning home run from Teoscar Hernandez that put things to rest for the White Sox would be the end of the scoring as the Mariners won 3-2. to two. White Sox look to bounce back today. It'll be Lucas Giolito on the hill in a resurgent season for him. We were all hoping he would bounce back, uh, and he has in a big way. His numbers this year speak for themselves, especially since the turn of the calendar after what was a rough April for kind of everybody. The month of May has been great. Lucas in his last eight starts, a 3.09 ERA, uh, striking guys out to the tune of nine and a half strikeouts per nine. He's been fantastic. Uh, So looking to continue that trend and the White Sox, again, big change in the lineup. Tim Anderson not leading off today. He will hit second as Pedro Grafal does whatever it takes to get a spark out of this lineup, get guys on base for the sluggers who have not struggled to hit home runs. Happy Father's Day weekend to you and all the fathers out there this weekend. Uh, White Sox pregame is coming up next. I'll be with you. It'll be Len Casper on the solo call. First pitch, 310 White Sox at Mariners right here on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network.